Hi, welcome to the Juno Files, where we talk about books, TV, movies, and everything in between. I'm Jim Juno, and we'd like to welcome Pandora to the host of podcast platforms that you can now hear the Juno Files on. And next up, we have Richard A. Lertzman. He's the author of several books, including Dr. Feelgood, The Life and Times of Mickey Rooney, Beyond Columbo, the Life and Times of Peter Falk, and the Dr. Feelgood Casebook. His new book is called Deconstructing the Rat Pack, Joey, the Mob, and the Summit. And he joins us now. Welcome to the Juno Files, Richard. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. Now, your new book, Deconstructing the Rat Pack, this is actually the life story of Joey Bishop. Yeah, we, we you know, I got to know Joey Bishop the last about 20 years of his life. And I mixed in Joey's story with uh, interviews I did with people who were in the, uh, the underworld who built Las Vegas. So using that and then interviews with other people who knew the Rat Pack, like Buddy Hackett and Shecky Green and others who were there, uh, we mixed it all together and kind of gave an idea. Instead of the, the legend of the Rat Pack, we try to tell the, uh, the, the facts instead of the myths. That's right. And I remember in your opening chapter, you, you uh, were talking with Sheldon Leonard, who had a great line that who wants to, who wants to write a book about that Meshuggah? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that was basically a lot of, I mean, he, you know, he was a member, like you mentioned, he was a member of the, of the Rat Pack and also had all the mob connections during his life, which I didn't realize, you know, I always assumed Frank Sinatra had the mob connections, but it was actually Joey Bishop. Yeah, Joey worked, Joey started in, he's from Philadelphia and he worked uh, a lot of the mob clubs in the, in the 30s and 40s. And uh, he started at, at a place called the El Dumpo in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, it was run by a, 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 one of the mobsters who eventually went to Las Vegas. And Joey learned a couple of things. He learned to keep his nose clean, you know, they get in trouble and he kept his mouth shut. So whatever he saw there, he didn't see. So uh, he just kept quiet, did his job, and he worked, and, and he kept rising up and going to little bigger clubs. Eventually went to the Chez Paris in Chicago, another mob club, and he worked at the Latin Quarter, another mob club in New York, and, and eventually the Copacabana. And eventually he became the opening act for Frank Sinatra. And, and, uh, and that's when... Uh, you know, Joey, you know, Frank didn't want a, a really loud comic, like a guy like uh, Shecky Green or Buddy Ackett or Don Rickles. He didn't want someone to, to take the air out of the room. He wanted a comic just to get the audience warmed up. That's right. And now uh, you mentioned a little bit about uh, working at El Dumpo. And there was one place, Rondelli's, that you write about. And was that the place where he saw the man get his tongue cut out? Well, no, actually, Rondelli's was a restaurant in Ventura Boulevard in, in uh, Los Angeles. And he, he had a friend named Mickey Cohn, who if you ever saw the movie Bugsy, Harvey Keitel played Mickey Cohn. And Mickey Cohn was, had set up for Joey to witness the murder of a guy that, that Mickey was going to shoot and Joey was going to be the witness to say was in self-defense. Luckily for Joey that night, Joey was in a long golf game and had, had an appearance in the Valley and, but Joey still later testified for Mickey Cohn on his behalf because Joey was very friendly with most of the mobsters. While Frank knew the guys, Frank wasn't in, Frank was never involved beyond 
owning a share of the Sands Hotel or owning part of the Calneva Lodge with uh, Momo Giancana. But that was that was really what kept him in the. He he made some good money during that time. Um, he always was working during those mob casinos. It seemed. Joe Joey made quite a bit of money. Um, in fact, he you know even though he didn't work the last nearly forty years of his life, he, <laughs> he left he left you know quite a nice fortune, um, and he um, he was highly paid. He had a big after he was after the Rat Pack touched his, his career, you know for ten years in the sixties. He became a, a big television star. He had a four-year situation comedy and a talk show against the Tonight Show for three years. I want to talk a little bit about that in a second because what I remember Joey Bishop was that he was like the permanent guest host for the Tonight Show, but we'll touch upon that in a little while. Um, his meeting with Frank Sinatra, can you tell us how those two met? Well, Frank... Um, Joey worked for a guy named Abe Lastvogel, who was the uh, head of William Morris. And uh, Joey uh, had seen Frank and had known Frank from the clubs in New York. And Frank saw Joey's act, loved his act, told Abe Lastvogel that he'd like to have Joey open up for him. And Joey opened up for him in, uh, in New York uh, at the Copacabana. And uh, it, was it was a perfect match because Joey uh, had Joey was called the Frown Prince of Comedy, and he had a very dour sense of humor, very, very kind of uh, dry sense of humor. And Frank liked that, and it was perfect for Frank's crowd because you know Joey was kind of a tough Philly street guy, and Frank liked to play that he was this tough guy from Hoboken, New York, New Jersey. Right, Hoboken, New Jersey, and um, so those two got along well, and. Now, did he carry, I mean, I want, to say, I want to say that he carried on on Frank Sinatra's coattails. He tied his, he tied his uh, fortunes to Frank Sinatra, which is not a bad person to tie it to. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, but as Sinatra, as Sinatra gained more fame in Las Vegas, it seemed like Joey Bishop became more, more famous too. Yeah, Joey, Joey, you know, because anybody who was involved with Frank and and Joey, when Joey got involved with Frank, Frank was like rising back. He had crashed out after his success in the 40s. And when Joey met him, he was about to go into the movie From, Her From Here to Eternity, where Frank won the Academy Award. Mm -hmm. And Frank started doing big movies. And all of Frank's gigs in, in Las Vegas and all over were big events. So Joey, just by knowing Frank, you know, was considered a top comic. And then that led on to an on to, I don't want to say a relationship with JFK or friendship with JFK, but Peter Lawford came on board, who was married to uh, to JFK's, uh, I believe his sister in law, something like that. His sister. And sister, his sister, yes, and and those two started that became a threesome. He, I mean, Frank Sinatra loved Kennedy, well, and yeah, Frank. Frank in, in the in the late fifties owned nine percent of the Sands Hotel. Um, the mob guys uh, gave him a share because they had all these older stars like Jimmy Durante and Soapy Tucker and all these and Tony Martin and they wanted to get this young they wanted to get someone powerful in Las Vegas to start drawing more than just people from Los Angeles. So they they sought to give Joey not, uh, Frank Sinatra nine percent of the hotel. 
And then Al Freeman, this, this publicist, said to, uh, to uh, Frank, he was thinking of play, making this mega act. And did, would Frank like to do this mega act to really sell Las Vegas? And Frank thought about it. And he had just done a movie with Dean Martin called Some Come Running. And so he wanted to work with Dean. And then Sammy Davis Jr. had just been in an accident where he lost his eye. And Sammy had to relearn how to dance and how to move. And he wanted to give Sammy that chance. Joey being his opening act was the fourth linchpin of the Rat Pack. And then Peter Lawford, Peter Lawford had tried to sell this script called Ocean's Eleven with him as the star. And no one wanted Peter Lawford. <laughs> so, they, so Peter Lawford gave it to Frank. And Frank took this script and took it to Jack Warner. And Jack Warner loved it. And Frank said, would this be great, since he owned 9% of the Sands, to shoot it at the Sands Hotel, get the film shot there, get the Sands uh, uh, lo filming locations on film to sell it, and then to do the show at the same time. And it all fell together. And for 20, in February of 1960, for 28 straight days, Frank, Dean, Sammy, Peter, and Joey did two shows a night at 8 and 12. The tickets were $7 in those days for, a, for dinner and a show. And no one could get a ticket, though. And then, and then during the day, they did Ocean's Eleven. They woke up for a 6 a.m. makeup call, and they were working all day long. At night, they did their shows. And then they even went into the lounges and into the, uh, into the casino to really uh, drop a lot of action. That's right, and they—they—that's what stunned me is that they—they they filmed the movie in the daytime. They, then they went and went and performed at night at the Sands, and that's when they started getting the term the Rat Pack. But Frank Sinatra never called themselves the Rat Pack, and Joey Bishop never called it the Rat Pack. They called it the Summit, didn't they? Well, you know, when Frank was about about four years before the Rat Pack formed, Frank was friends with uh, Humphrey Bogart and his wife Lauren Bacall. David Niven, Mickey Rooney. It was a whole group of Hollywood actors. Right. And, and they would go around everywhere. They'd go to clubs. And Lauren Bacall's, Bacall one time said, you guys look like a bunch of, a pack of rats. And James Bacon, who was a columnist, took that name and called it the Rat Pack. So when, when, uh, when all of them got together for the summit in Las Vegas, the newspapers again called, the, called these guys the Rat Pack. They stuck it to them. Frank didn't like the name. Frank said, well, call us the Klan. I hate that name. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and there was a book that was made at that time that kind of made up this myth about the Rat Pack that we kind of dispel, and they called it the Rat Pack, and, and it stuck ever since then. And for 60 years, we know it as my hat says, the Rat Pack. I know. that. And, and when you went to see Joey Bishop, you got to meet him before he passed away. He didn't want to talk about the Rat Pack, did he? You know, I knew Joey for about 20 years. I met him a few times and talked to him. So I knew him pretty well. Um, and when I came there, he says, I don't want to talk about the, the Rat Pack. I don't want anything to do with it. You know, because he, he resented that his whole career, he was known for the Rat Pack rather than for what he did. He goes, you know, I did a TV show. I did a talk show. I did all this. And then once you started talking to him and you went up to Joey's uh, 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 study, it was a shrine to the Rat Pack. It was pictures of the inauguration because Joey was the MC of the 1961 inauguration of John Kennedy. So it was pictures of Joey as the MC there, pictures of him with Frank and Dean. And, 
and everything Joey had up there was for the Rat Pack. So it was kind of a contradiction in that way. I liked the I liked the joke that he told uh, JFK when he was being introduced that here I am the Catholic president and the first guy I introduce is a bishop. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and that, that was Joey's favorite thing. And that was kind of the high point of Joey's life because, you know, here he is a street kid from Philadelphia and he's introducing the president of the United States at the inauguration. So it was really, it was really a, a, a big moment in Joey's life. And then after, after that, after the uh, Ocean's Eleven, did he and Sinatra have a falling out? I mean, it, it, they ended their friendship on bad terms. Yeah, you know, one thing you don't do is you don't you don't bite your benefactor in the in the hand. Yes. And Joey worked twenty five years and started getting a swelled head. And Frank, you know, went out of his way to put him as the opening act, got him involved in Ocean's Eleven, put him in the movie Sergeants Three. So now Joey's ready to be in the movie Robin in the Seven Hoods and play Guy, Guy Gisborne that Peter Falk later played. And so as Joey's going into that, Frank had a, like a rough year. His son was, ki- his son was kidnapped in, in, in December of 1963. President Kennedy was killed. And, jo- and Frank was kind of like taking a break and asked Joey to fill in for him at the Cal Neva Lodge that Frank owned a piece with Dean Martin with Sam Giancana. And Joey, and Joey said, well, I need a plane. I need $50,000. He started giving all these demands. And Frank, you know, somebody one time told me, if you have Frank as a friend, you don't need another friend. Right. Frank demanded loyalty. And Joey just, he felt that he was an ingrate. And that was it for them. Really, they, they never really reconciled. And that's a shame, too, because you're right. I mean, you don't say no to Frank Sinatra. Not, not after you, he puts you in a position to really make your career. I mean, you know, there's certain people that, you, you know, you, you can take lightly, but you, you don't take the chairman of the board lightly. That's exactly true. You could end up worse than not working. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, he, like you've mentioned, he had a TV show for four years, the Joey Bishop show. The first year, he did not even want to mention that, did he? He doesn't even, he doesn't even like to release that in reruns well it, it's actually in reruns if you watch antenna tv or you go to prime the joy bishop shows on there and all the episodes from that year the first year had warren berlinger as joey's brother and marlo thomas as his sister and if you remember Anne harriet from batman match blake, Madge blake. yeah and, uh and i interviewed warren berlinger who passed away last week and Warren said, why? Oh, just like Sheldon Leonard. Oi, why would you want to talk about this guy? And, and Warren told me terrible story after terrible story of what Joey was like. Marlo Thomas also said about how tough it was. And then the next year, they, they, they reformatted the show and brought in Abby Dalton as his, as his wife and a comedian named Guy Marks and, and uh, the, the hysterical Joe Besser. When the Three Stooges played uh, Jilson, the uh, the janitor, and I interviewed Abby Dalton, who pa- also passed away a couple of weeks ago. It was sweet. I did the last interview with Abby, uh-huh. and Abby explained <clears throat> they wanted her to play like a Mary Tyler Moore part because on that same lot, produced by the same producers, uh, Sheldon Leonard and, and Danny Thomas produced the Dick Van Dyke Show and Andy Griffith Show, and they wanted to make the Joy Bishop Show a little bit like the 
the Dick Van Dyke show, which was doing great. And Abby Dalton, went, they had Abby Dalton watch uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. So Abby watched Dick and Mary and, and Rosemarie and Maury Amsterdam. And so Sheldon said, what do you think? Can you do it? She goes, a couple things, Sheldon. Dick can dance. Dick can sing. Dick has charisma. Joey has none of that. So no. <laughs> Otherwise, he's perfect for the part. <laughs> That's right. She said he was like a rock. He was, he was an immobile actor. And she used to have to work hard to prop him up and get him like more animated. And, uh, you know, the show lasted four years remarkably, but, uh, you know, it's it, at times hard to watch when I rewatch some of the episodes. Was it uh Berninger who, uh, who, uh, circled his name on the script and that for some reason set Joey Bishop off. You know, Warren, Warren had just come from, uh, starring in Broadway and just come blow your horn for Neil Simon. And so he, he was starting out, he was a young guy. Um, he was related to Milton Berle. And, uh, jo, you know, Joey just didn't like Warren Berger because you know, he didn't like anybody who was educated, who, who was a better actor, who got funnier laughs. And Joey wanted to be, you know, Joey was so different than somebody like Jack Benny. Joey had a, a, a writer who was one of the best writers in show business. His name was Milt Josephsburg. And he had written for 20 years for Jack Benny. So uh, Sheldon Leonard hired him to write the Joey Bishop show. So Milt wrote a script with, about Joey and his twin cousin. So during the week, Joey's getting very angry. And he's, 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 he's really you know, grouchy and, and mad. Finally, he goes up to Milt Josephsburg, who's this little five-foot-four quiet guy, and starts grabbing him by the tie and shaking him. He goes, why, why, why? He goes, why, what, Joey? He goes, why did you write my cousin funnier than me? <laughs> and Gary Marshall's there, and he goes, we didn't want to explain to Joey that he played the cousin, too. <laughs> my gosh. I mean, and you want to get laughs, no matter who's getting them. A successful TV show, which gets laughs, is good for all. You see that, you see that nowadays on ensemble casts. Yeah, you, you want to get the last, you know, Jack Benny learned that because he had all these great characters and people around them and George Burns and they always had funny people around them. And sometimes they don't get it. You know, guys like Joey, uh, another guy uh, uh, named Danny Kay, um, Harvey Corman and, uh, and Jamie Farr were regulars in the show. They had the same complaint that Danny Kay didn't want anybody to get laughs, but Danny Kay. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, it's now. He did not, did he not like doing TV or he didn't like doing movies because it took away the money that he was making in nightclubs, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, movies take a long time and, you know, you, you don't make as much. So if you're making fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a week in, in a nightclub and you're making three or 4000 or 5000 a week in television, you know, you might be more famous by being on television, but it doesn't feed your family as well. Um, a, a great comic named Buddy Hackett who I got to know, he made a new film called The Music Man. And what irritated Buddy was he got a big part, but it took him five months to shoot that. Meanwhile, he lost out 75000 a week in, in Las Vegas. Mm. That's quite a price to pay for going. For, he reached more people, but he took a big pay cut. Right. Now, tell me, uh, tell me now, like we mentioned earlier about Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show. How did, how did that come about? Well, 
Joey um, had appeared on Jack Parr as a guest host. And so when Johnny Carson came, he needed someone to keep the ratings stable on a Friday or a Monday when he wasn't there. So Joey had actually filled in for Johnny for about 15 years, over 200 times. So Joey became kind of the regular guest host. And uh, even though Johnny and Joey, uh, Joey became very angry with Johnny because one of the times when uh, when Joey was thrown out of the rat bag, Johnny filled in in Joey's part in the Dismas House event for the Rat Pack in 1965. And at that event, they asked Johnny, they go, where's Joey? And he goes, well, Joey hurt his back. He was bowing as he was walking backwards from Frank Sinatra, the king. Joey got got so angry. He goes, that's a cruel thing to say about me. But he still needed Johnny, so he, he kept his mouth shut. I remember. I remember seeing that. I believe it. That's available. I believe that particular show with yeah. Johnny Carson. You know, on um, on DVD or something. And then, but he was like the permanent guest host. And then eventually, Johnny Carson set him aside. I guess because was he was he no longer popular? Is that what? Is that the reason? Well, Joey. He did. Joey filled in and got great ratings. And then ABC in 1967 hired Joey for his own talk show to be com- compete against the tonight show so from 67 to early 1970 joey had his own talk show on abc regis philbin was his sidekick and joey got okay ratings but abc had another young guy named dick cabot who they wanted to they wanted to move up so eventually joey was released from his show dick cabot took his place and joey was allowed back with johnny until like probably the late 70s, and then Joey got a little older and they wanted younger audiences, so they brought in David Brenner and Joan Rivers and Gary Shandling to become those, take his place as the guest host. Yeah, I can remember those days. I mean, near the end of the t- his time on Tonight's show, it, it would seem like the, the ratings would go down on those particular appearances. But how, how did Joey handle retirement? Well, Joey kind of had a forced retirement. Joey yeah. burned every bridge, as we were talking about. Every writer, you know, when you assault guys like Gary Marshall, who have guys like who have shows like Happy Days and Laverne Shirley and Morgan Mindy and make movies, and you assault all the top writers and people in the business, it gets around, and he's hard, and he's difficult to work with. So, from about 1970 to when he died in 2007, Joey did in the in the 70s, he did some match games in Hollywood Squares. But, you know, his, his days as a headliner, as a star, were dwindling. So for about 40-something years, he didn't work a lot. I mean, his, he was pretty much forgotten by the time he died. And he was the last man standing. You know, Frank Sinatra died in 98. And then Joey died uh, almost nine years later. And, um, and it was a long road, you know, as, as a forgotten man. You said you knew him for 20 years What's your takeaway about Joey Bishop? Joey was a very tough, hard guy. Um, he, he lived in, in an area called Lido Isle in, in Newport Beach, California. Had a condo. Had a boat behind there. You know, he did work a lot, but you, you had to laugh at Joey's jokes. You had to, to, to listen to Joey. If you, if you turned your head for a minute, he'd get really angry with you that you're not, that you're not focused on him. And he would show you clips in his house and films of himself and he kind of lived in the past and 
for me, it was fascinating because I got to hear some great Frank Sinatra stories and some great uh, Dean Martin stories and, and uh, Sammy Davis Jr. and what it was like to work in that era. And for me, it was a treat because, you know, I love to hear those kind of those stories from that era that, you know, and record it for other people to hear, you know, which, I, which this book presents. That's fantastic. Well, Richard, I appreciate it tonight. The man is Richard A. Lertzman. The book is Deconstructing the Rat Pack, Joey, the Mob, and the Summit. It's out now. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or if you have a brick-and-mortar store that's open in your area, uh, please visit those. Richard, again, thank you for being on the Juno Files tonight. Oh, I appreciate it, Jim, and thanks for the time. You can find more information about Deconstructing the Rat Pack, Joey, the Mob, and the Summit by Richard Lertzman at Amazon.com. Until next time, I'm Jim Juno, and this has been The Juno Files.